Welcome again this morning, trying to give uh, parents enough time to come back in after taking their kids to the children's programs. So just like to welcome you this morning as we get going in this morning's sermon. So to this morning, we're going to be back in the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at Luke 38, at 10 to 38 through 42. So I'm going to read this passage, and then we will pray, and then we'll get going on the passage before us. It's a very, very familiar passage to us. But I think there's a lot of good things for us in this passage this morning. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 38. And while they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're so worried and upset about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father God, there is rarely any other moment when I recognize my dependence and need of you than when I am given the awesome opportunity of preaching your word to your people. Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage this morning, that we would see you and see Christ more clearly in our attention and our devotion and our love for you would grow. Lord, you are good. And these are your words. These are not my words. Bless this time, and I pray. Amen. So I don't know how many of you guys like to watch the Olympics. I, I prefer, honestly, I prefer the Winter Olympics over the Summer Olympics because I like snow sports. I used to snowboard. I would snowboard, and my brother and my brother-in-law were both snowboarders. I, I was never very good, hence the reason why I dislocated a shoulder and gave myself concussions and all other manner of contusions while snowboarding. Now, skiing and snowboarding, they're a little bit different. You know, there's, there's definitely a snowboarder type, and then there's a skier type. There are different types of people, and we normally you know, like to make fun of each other on the slopes. But one thing that about snowboarding and most sports, actually, is you really have to be paying attention to what you're doing. Um, apparently, I didn't do that very well, hence the reason why I dislocated a shoulder. So when you're on a snowboard, what you have to do is you have to be, you know, obviously watching the trail in front of you to see how wide it is, how steep it is, so you can kind of control your speed. What you're doing is you're, you're riding, you're not actually riding on the snowboard flat on the ground. What you're doing is you're, you're riding on either the, the heel edge of the board or you're riding on the toe edge of the board. And so as you're riding, what you're trying to do is the, the uphill edge of your board, you're keeping that pressed into the ground and the downhill edge of your board you're keeping lifted. So if you're if you're carving this way, what you're going to do is you're going to be pulling your heels that pull this down that way. You're going to be riding on your heels. Now, if if you lose track of what edge you're on or where your heels are at, 
you're going to catch an edge. And that's what happened to me when I dislocated my shoulder. I was snowboarding and I wasn't paying attention to the conditions of the snow and some slush. And what ended up happening is I was on my heel edge and my toe edge caught and I went flying through the air and I landed and I landed on my shoulder and dislocated my shoulder. So when we're, when you're snowboarding or when you're doing any kind of sports or any, any you have to pay attention to what you're doing. You can't become distracted. If you're trying to snowboard down the hill and you're just looking at the scenery and not paying attention, you could run into another skier. You could, you know, dislocate your shoulder, whatever it might be. You have to be focused. You have to pay attention to the, to your surroundings and where you're at. It's not you that's carrying yourself down the hill, but that hill will carry you down quite focused on what you think. So as we get into today's passage, what we see is our sister Martha becoming distracted. Now, the main point of this passage, as I have come to understand it, is this. The work of the disciple is to receive from Christ as we rest at his feet. Now, the work of the disciple is to receive from Christ while we rest at his feet. Now, as we get into today's passage, what I want to do is I want to, there was a theme throughout this passage, Luke chapter 10, the whole, the entire chapter that I noticed as I was studying for this. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of recap the chapter. And so what we see is in, in verse, verses 1 through 12, Jesus sends out the 72. And what he's sending them out to do is to the work of proclaiming the kingdom. And he's, he sends them out to all the villages that he's about to go into. And he's sending them out to do this work of proclaiming the kingdom. But then what we see is in verse 13 through 16, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. So what we see in this, this little section is we see unresponsive cities to the works that were done in them that were validating the proclamation of the kingdom that was coming to them. But then we move on, we go to verse, verses 17 through 20. And the 72 come back and they say, they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are sub submitted to us in your name. And Jesus responds, I, with, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So what we're seeing is Satan being overpowered by the work of the proclamation of the kingdom. And then we have in verse 21 through 24, which we'll actually kind of turn to some, as we go through today's message. Verse 21 through 24 is this great passage. And it says, At the same time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because it was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So what we see in this little section is Jesus is rejoicing in the Father, the Father's work of revealing himself and the Son through him. 
and we have the sermon, then we have the, the, the section that Jamie preached on last week, where you have a, 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 an expert in the law or a lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, what must I do to be saved and to, to inherit eternal life? He's asking, what are the works that I need to do? So there's this, this theme of works throughout this passage. And I think this, this where we're at this morning is going to orient our, in our hearts as we work to do. Because Jesus continued, when Jesus answers the teacher, when he answers that expert in the law, he shows him, that really it is not a work that you can accomplish in and of yourself. But this brings us to our passage this morning. You know, there's three, three main, there's three points that are going to guide us through our time this morning. And point number one is this. We become distracted with much serving, which leads to the lonely frustration of distracted service. But... There is a good portion which shall never be taken away. So our three points this morning are distracted with much service, the lonely frustration of distracted service, and the good portion which shall never be taken away. So let's get back into the text. Let's read this. And while we were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked the Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. Now, if you notice, I'm actually reading out of the, e the CSB, and my notes are all in the uh, ESV, because I'm trying to be distracting while I preach a sermon about not being distracted. But so be it. So let's, let's set the stage a little bit. What we have is Jesus is an itinerant rabbi. And what itinerant rabbi would do is, you know, by the name itinerant, he's a rabbi who would travel from place to place. And he would preach and teach and take questions and answer questions and debate things. And this was kind of the job of the itinerant rabbi. And he had his group of disciples, his retinue that would follow him. So as he's traveling... We see many occasions throughout the New Testament where Jesus is invited into the home of someone. You know, we have the passage earlier in the book of Luke where Jesus is sitting in someone's home and four guys show up and they rip the roof off and then they lower their friend down so Jesus can heal him. And then we have another portion in, in Luke chapter 7 where you, Jesus is in the, the house of a Pharisee and the Pharisee is testing him and a woman comes and is washing Jesus' feet and the Pharisee is being Pharisaical in his mind and saying, if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her wash his feet. She is a sinner. And this is, this is Simon. So what an itinerant rabbi would do is, like I said, he would travel around, he would preach out in the open, as Jesus often do, oftentimes does, but he would also be invited into people's homes. And the point of, being, of someone inviting Jesus into their home was so that he could sit and he could teach and they could learn. And other people could sit and they could learn from Jesus. You know, Jesus, that's, that's what I'm saying. Jesus was invited by Martha into her home for the purpose of teaching. The point of the activity was to learn from Jesus. 
but this is a, a culture of hospitality. Hospitality is very big in Middle East. There are things that Martha. I don't think that Jesus ever rebukes Martha in this passage for working. He actually, if you go back to, Gen to Luke chapter 7, Jesus rebukes Simon, who is the host, for not working, for not doing the thing that a host should do. So I really don't think that the thing that Jesus is pointing at when he says, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, is that she was busy doing things. Now, if we're honest, as we're trying to build out the different ministries of this church, I think we would probably want more Marthas than we would want Marys. Martha is someone who's busy. She's working. She's doing. She's going to Jesus and saying, hey, I need some more volunteers. Send them my way. But she's distracted from the main point. The main point of a disciple, what, what a disciple was in that time, was someone who sat at their, at, at their rabbi's feet and they learned of him. They didn't just learn his thought. Their goal was to be changed and so their mindset was changed into his likeness. So when they went down to the store and they were going to buy dinner, they buy the thing that he wanted, that, that he would have bought. Because every part of their life has been impacted and shifted and they be, be turned and their, their thought becomes, his thought becomes their thought. Because they're, that's the, the level of dedication the disciples would have. They would actually call it the yoke, the yoke of a, of a, of a teacher. So like I said, I don't believe that this was a question of a wrong type of activity. But what it is, is she's distracted from the main point. She was like Peter, who says to Jesus, if it's really you, call me out of the boat and I'll walk across the waves. And so Jesus says, come on. And so he gets out. And then he starts, he starts being distracted from the one who is keeping him safe to the thing that he's being kept safe from, and he begins to sink. What I think that some of this is pointing to is the fact that I don't really believe that for the, that for the Christian, there really is that much of a different, there is, really is a differentiation between sacred and secular work. It's not like we have our day-to-day -day job that we go to, and that's the, the secular thing. But then we get to come to church and we do the sacred thing where we're meeting with people and we're, we're serving and we're, we're having Bible studies. And that's the good portion is that we're doing our spiritual disciplines. You know, Michael Horton in his book, Ordinary, which is a fantastic book that I would encourage, encourage y'all to read. One thing that he points out is oftentimes it requires more sanctifying grace to walk through the ordinary changing of diapers and daily grind and work and just the, the ordinary life than it does to go on a, get on a plane and go serve orphans in some far off land. It is that daily grind where we are the most distracted and the most disgruntled and the most turned away from our savior. We're the least like Mary and sitting at his feet and learning of him. But it's very, it's very possible that in trying to be a Mary, we act like Martha. You know, it is a good thing to read and study books. It is an admirable thing to serve in children's ministry and ministry teams. But here's the thing. 
What's it for? The fruit of the disciple is not found in the doing. The fruit of the disciple is found in the reasons why you're doing it in the first place. The fruit of the Spirit is not hospitality. It's not Bible reading. It's not theological study. The evidence that we are being changed into the likeness of Christ isn't service at church. It's not memorizing scripture or fasting. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. As we're being changed into the likeness of Christ, it's easy so that we, we think, well, I need to study the scripture and that's where the fruit is going to come. But we can miss Jesus entirely even reading his words. J.I. Packer wrote a great book called Knowing God and in the introduction and throughout the book, one of the things that he mentions is that it is possible to know of God but not actually know him. The job of the disciple is not simply to know God in Christ, but to intimately know of God in Christ, but to intimately know him. To sit at his feet and to learn of him. That the reason that you're in the scripture be that this is the words of the man of the Savior who saved you. Why would you not want to read these? The love, joy, peace, and patience, those things are the reason why you read not out of dedication, not out of trying to create fruit and grow fruit in and of yourself. But when you look at the, there's an interesting thing. When you look at the, that list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, there's another list that comes directly before that, and I think is evident in Martha in this passage. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, and he gives us, but then he lands here. The works of the flesh are these, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Which leads us to our next step along the way. The lonely frustration of distracted service. Martha goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. There's a bitterness in Martha at this moment. Now, if you've ever been around a group of kids who are tasked with cleaning things, cleaning something up or doing a project at school, or even a group of adults who are tasked with working together, like living in a household or doing works at church or any of those kinds of things, you're going to start to hear very quickly something similar to Mary's, to Martha's complaint here. It's kind of the old adage, misery loves company. Well, I'm miserable, so you're going to be miserable too. But as we said before, the whole point of inviting a rabbi into your home is to listen to his teaching. But Martha was distracted from goal, from that goal, and now she's becoming bitter at her own sister who is actually doing the thing that Martha set up in the first place. Jesus, Martha invites Jesus so that you can listen to his teaching. Mary is then doing that, and Martha's mad. Isn't that life? 
But this is yet another danger we find in an overemphasis on spiritual disciplines and services in the church as a means of our sanctification in and of themselves. These things become a law of obligation, not an act of love done in joy. When our focus is distracted from the main point, which is to be conformed to the likeness of our Savior, the natural inclination of our own hearts is to compare ourselves by standards other than God's. You know, John, Matthew chapter one, 7, verse 1 and 2 is a verse that many people like. Well, they like verse, seven, verse, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for the judgment that you pronounce, for the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure with which you use, it will be measured to you. Instead of rejoicing in the love or the joy that we have in Christ, we start to use our own devotion, our own piety, our own amount of service, our own amount of good works in and of our own strength as the measure, measuring by which we judge others. Instead of patiently serving, we complain that we are serving alone. If our attention is drawn away from Christ, then we will become distracted and disunity will follow. When our distraction from Christ leads us to being disgruntled like our sister Mary, then we are like me on that snowboard who caught the edge and went down and I'm laying here in the snow and I'm trying to figure out how do I get my board off without messing my shoulder up anymore? We're having a good day skiing together. Well, now all my, all my, fam my, my brothers and friends are all down the hill and I'm stuck up here on the mountain by myself and I'm mad at them because I wasn't paying attention. I don't think I have to tell you about the disunity and the dysfunction and the frustration that can come when fellow church members or family members or co-workers adopt the, well, I do everything around here kind of attitude. Or even worse, how miserable we become when we are the ones who are adopting that attitude. It leads to scorekeeping. Who's serving more? Who's more dedicated? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You need to give like me. You don't know what I'm going through. It's scorekeeping. Our attention is on ourselves and not on Christ. The call to holiness and service is good, but it is not the measure by which we will be judged. We will be judged based on the merits of Christ and Christ alone. Not our own personal holiness. And what's more is our personal holiness is a work of the Holy Spirit anyway. Another thing that's so often a part of our 21st century Midwestern I-can-do-it-myself attitude is that we wrap up our identity in our busyness. Your social media is full of how busy we are. We wear our, we wear our distraction as if it's our red badge of courage. But our productivity and busyness can never become the source and core of meaning and identity in our lives. The whole point of the passage before us is that we rest in Christ and receive from him. Now, this is why I phrased the, the main point of the sermon the way that I did. 
It's not that we rest and that we, that the work of the disciple is to learn from Christ. Because as we see, if we go back to verses 21 through 20, 24 here, or 23, it says, because you, this is speaking to the Father, you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure, all things have been trusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So even in sitting at the feet of Jesus and resting in Christ, we're not even doing the work of learning on our own. It is being revealed to us from above. This is why I say that the work of the disciple is simply to receive and to rest. In our work and service and spiritual disciplines, and as we go through our ordinary and daily tasks, what this chapter is telling us is it is not our discipline, it is not our hard work that is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, but it is the Spirit that will produce the fruit. Yes, the Spirit does use means to produce fruit in our lives, but the main purpose of our lives, the answer to the question of what is it all for, is to show the excellencies of Christ in everything that we do, every action and every activity and every word that we speak. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If our attention and affections are drawn toward Christ, then the enmity and the strife and the jealousy and the fits of anger and the rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy that are the antithesis of the fruit of the Spirit, they will fall away, they will be pushed out. New Philippians 2, 1 through 8 says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is also in Christ, yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of Ben, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And this points us directly to our final point. Point number three, the good portion shall not be taken away. Let's read this. This is Jesus' response to Martha. There's a tenderness here. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. So what is this good portion? Is it 
sitting at Jesus's feet and learning? Is it reading your Bible? Is it serving at church? Is it doing any other number of good things? Psalm 73 verse 26 says this, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, the good portion is not spiritual disciplines or service at church. The good portion is the Savior himself. The good portion is the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world, which is the exact same thing that Martha told Jesus at Lazarus' grave. She recognized who Jesus was. Her attention had been drawn away. Of all the things that the Father gives the Son, of all the ones the Father gives the Son, the Son will lose none of them. That is a guarantee. This good portion, this portion that is Christ, is being maintained by Christ. John chapter 6, verse 6, verses 37 through 40 says this, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one, and this is the will of the him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the reality that we can rest in as we are sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus will not lose any that the Father has given him. That's the story of 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection. And one of the things that is communicated there is that if we are in Christ, then our resurrection in Christ is a greater guarantee than our physical death. Your first in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is Christ through the work of the Spirit, the Comforter that he has sent, who has started a good work in us, and he will complete it. This is the, this is the driving force behind everything that we do. We are being held by Christ, it's not up to us to do enough good works to make it there. Our sanctification is not a work of our own. Our sanctification is a work of the Spirit in our lives. But the thing that we love is the thing that we emulate. So as our affections and our attention and our love for Christ grows, there's a great sermon that was many, many years ago by a, by a Puritan preacher named Thomas Chalmers. I would, I would encourage you to read it. I, I will warn you, it is a Puritan sermon. So it is long and it is very wordy and it is just a very different language than we speak today. But the expulsive power of a new affection. And in this sermon, what he points out is, you know, there are many reasons to try to live right and do good works. But the one thing that will work is when we turn our gaze on Christ and our love for him grows it will take the place of everything else. What's interesting is you look at Paul and you read the epistles of Paul, or you read the epistles of Paul. At the beginning of Paul's ministry, 
Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles. Well, then as Christ increases in his mind and he decreases in the middle of his ministry, what he says is, I am the least of the saints. But then in a verse that we will be reading as we close, at the end of his ministry, at the very end, as Christ has become greater and greater and his attention has been more fixed on Christ, what he says is, I am the chief of sinners. As Christ works in his life and as his attention is set on Christ, he decreases and Christ increases. This is the words of John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. But this is the posture of the disciple, one who sits at the feet of Jesus. And when you read a, when you read a book, oftentimes reading that book changes the way you think. That was the goal of a disciple. They assumed a posture of receiving from their rabbi and being changed. But that change that happens is what brings unity within a church because we're all focused on the same thing. This is the unity of serving through Christ. This is the source of good fruit. So as I've been saying, the fruit is not the disciplines, but it's the reason we do the disciplines. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 says this, Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So that you also, so you also forgive. Above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So the way that we cultivate fruit in our lives is we focus our attention on Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work of growing love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, these fruits of the Spirit. Your 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10 says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, nor though it was not I, but the grace that was within me. As we fix our eyes on Christ, our dependence on him grows, and we can say, like Paul, it was not I, but it was Christ that was at work in me. There was one thing that I was thinking about as I was working through this passage, is I believe that this is the role of the pastor to a church. We have the opportunity as pastors to serve you all in a way that hopefully will remove the distractions, the things that will draw your attention away from Christ, and we will constantly be pointing you back to who Jesus is. 
you know, this evening we'll be taking a vote. And there is a chance, if God, the Lord is willing, I will have the opportunity to serve here at the church as a, as a full-time pastor. And the way that I see the role of the executive pastor is one of, of what I was just saying, removing distractions so that we can serve united and not distracted. But if you're an unbeliever in the room today, you're a visitor and you're not quite sure what we're talking about, I'm glad that you're here. There's probably a lot of questions that you have. Some of this is probably confusing. Like, what does it mean to be changed into the likeness of Jesus? What are spiritual disciplines? What are these fruits of the Spirit? There's been talk about resting in Christ. What is that all about? How can I know these things are true for me and of me? You know, I know there's, these are great questions. These are the, oftentimes the kinds of questions that the Lord uses to reveal himself to us, the thing that Jesus was praising his Father for in verses 21 and 22, the work of the Father's revealing. So if you have any other questions, these are others. Just write them down. Take the, the, hymn, the, the, the Bible that's in front of you, the, the Black Pew Bible. Take it home and start at the beginning of the book of Luke. I didn't look up the page number, but start at the beginning of the book of Luke. Read the whole thing. And if you, if you run into something you don't understand, write that question down. And then come back next week. Find somebody who looks like a regular around here and ask them to help you understand these things. And even if that person can't answer all the questions, I guarantee you that your time spent in the word of God will not be in vain. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says this, So shall my word be when it goes out from my mouth. This is the Lord speaking. It shall not return to me empty, but will accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now as we close, I want to point back again to the tenderness of Christ and our frustrated and distracted, lonely serving. Look at Jesus, the way he responds to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the right choice, made the right choice, and will not be taken away from her. Can't you hear the tenderness of Jesus in that moment? As he's turning back to himself, earning Martha's attention. She invited Jesus so that she could learn of Jesus, and then she gets distracted. And he's, he's turning her back to himself. This is like the little child who is scared by the thunderstorm, whose father picks him up and turns, puts his, buries his face in his shoulder and says, I've got you. The tenderness of Christ in this moment. And normally at this point in sermons, we try to give very practical steps of application. But instead of, I don't want to risk giving a list of do's and don'ts about a, in a sermon about resting in Christ, so we can all try harder and do more to rest better. I just want to give us four verses after I pray. You know, in the Anglican tradition, Thomas Kramer, many, many years ago, 
put four verses together, and these are what are known as the comfortable words. These are words of comfort for weary sinners, comfort for saints who are distracted by many things. So I'm going to, here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then as we close, as we, as I finish up, what I'll be doing is I'll be reading these comfortable words. These are words that we can hang on to, that provide comfort to our souls, reorient our minds and our hearts back to Jesus. So let's pray and then we'll read these words. Lord Jesus, we are often distracted or disgruntled, frustrated, worn out, doing things in and of our own strength. But Lord, you are calling us ever gently, tenderly back to yourself. It is us, not us who is doing the work anyway, but it is you through the Spirit, the glory of your Father, that is working these things out in our lives. Lord, draws our attention. Fix our gaze and our eyes back on you. Increase the love that we have for you. Comfort us with your scriptures. Point us evermore to you. Forgive us when we do not think of others as more worthy than ourselves, as it says in Philippians. Forgive us when, when our attention is on, on these other things. Lord, we thank you for this very familiar and simple passage that, lets us, that helps us remember that it is our work to receive from you and to rest in you as we go about everything that we do in our lives. Lord, I thank you and I praise you that you are, are our rest. You are good and worthy of all our praise. Amen. Hear what the comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto you who truly turn unto him. Come unto me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into, wor into the world to save sinners. And if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the perfect offering for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world.